stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. I think one of the most unfortunate things that's happened is that this so-called protest, which I would characterize as a festival and a parade, has ruined the lives of people who actually live in the Beltline and people who work there. And when people came together to stand their ground for their community, uh, they were treated like any other protest group. And that can't happen. Well, that's uh, Mayor Jody Gondak weighing in on yet another weekend of protests in the Beltline. And clearly residents, business in the area have had enough. Good afternoon, folks. Rob Breckenridge with you. This is Afternoons on 770 CHQR. we got a lot to get to on this Monday. Your phone call is 403-974-8255. But let's talk more about these, these protests and a group of protesters, it seems, who can't seem to take yes for an answer. I mean, there is the question of why there, why the Beltline, uh, this area along 17th Ave, has been the site of these protests, uh, seemingly never-ending weekly protests, very noisy, boisterous, and large. And there's also the question of why. When the Alberta government has removed virtually all COVID mandates and restrictions, it seems a little odd to still have very loud and angry protests against mandates and restrictions. Now, apparently one of the statements put out by protest organizers said uh, they're protesting because they fear that at some point in the future, the Alberta government could bring back some of those measures, which might seem a little bizarre and, and illogical. But, OK, look, protests don't have to be logical. That's not the bar they need to clear. Uh, but what needs to be done about all of this disruption for residents and businesses in the Beltline? Certainly, they deserve their neighborhood back, don't they? Is this something for police to solve? Is ultimately this up to these protesters just to maybe finally show some compassion, some decency, some respect? Now, things got a little tense, obviously, over the weekend, as some residents, uh, I I guess to the point of being fed up, uh, that they went out uh, with their own counter-protests. There was a standoff for a while at 17th Avenue, I think it was 5th Street. Uh, Police eventually move the counter-protesters out of the way so the main protest could continue on its way. And a lot of frustration about how police handled that whole situation. So uh, joining us to talk about uh, this past weekend specifically, this uh, broader issue, we're generally very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Peter Oliver, who is president of the Beltline Neighborhoods Association. Peter, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, this has been going on, it seems, for a very long time. Obviously, now that we're in a phase where it's not clear what these protesters are really protesting against anymore, I mean, what should happen here? Is it time for, for all of this to end, in your view? Well, I think it's important to, to point out, it, it, <clears throat> it's really hard at this at this point to uh, to really pin down any coherent goals, objectives, or ideology of this protest, as you said. All the vaccine uh, regulations, public health measures have been removed. Uh, the provincial government uh, capitulated to the Coots protesters, the vaccine protesters. And so, I mean, there's really nothing left to be protesting. And what we see in the streets is, um, is really a, a hate mob. Um, it's a toxic cocktail of anti-vaxxers, white supremacists, um, conspiracy theorists, 
you know, Pfizer's uh, a global conspiracy to, I don't know, take over people's brains. Like, um, but regardless of whatever they're protesting about, um, they're really having uh, a serious toll on, on the Beltline. And so we're dealing with weekly uh, parades, uh, a lot of noise, a real like atmosphere of intimidation, um, something that was sort of described in Ottawa that um, is, a, is a, a vibe you definitely feel on the street here now when this comes through. And, um, and it's, it's hurting businesses too. We've heard how from uh, the BIA's 17th app business is down 15 to 20% on uh, Saturdays, which should be one of their their busier days. Right. Um, residents are being stalked. Uh, if you're wearing a, a mask, you might get followed home, yelled at. Uh, there's littering, public defecation. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's really grim, and, and you feel like you're, you're trapped here when this happens for the afternoon. So um, people are avoiding the area. People are trying to get out of the area. And um, as you saw this weekend, when residents, um, in the last three weeks, residents have started to say enough is enough. This needs to stop um, coming through our neighborhood. And uh, police were there um, escorting the protest and clearing and physically removing out of the way uh, residents, who I would like to distinguish as um not counter-protesters. I mean, when we saw in Mm -hmm. Ottawa when the elderly woman who had a semi-truck in front of her home camped out for weeks stood in front of it and blocked it from moving, uh, I don't think anyone would have uh, considered that a uh, a simple counter-protester. This is a a resident defending their neighbourhood, their home. And um, I think it's an important distinction. And so... um, uh, I think what residents are looking at here is we have bylaws. Um, there's noise bylaws. There's um, tools that police have to require these protesters um, to, um, to to file plans, to work with them on uh, different routes. Um, and um, that could uh, enable police to redirect these protests to an area where there is less disruption outside of the Beltline. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the Calgary Stampede's allowed to parade down 9th Avenue um, or, or is perfectly happy doing that, uh, there's no reason why uh, these people can protest there. Um, but instead, uh, police seem uh, more inclined to to um, to treat the residents as the problem. Um, I was shocked in speaking to a number of officers this weekend who thought, uh, we should go home. Um, I tried to explain that this was our home. Um, and so what, what we saw this weekend, and anyone can go online and look at the videos, was um, absolutely atrocious um, conduct and um, really concerning. Yeah, well, the police chief is, is apparently going to comment uh, later on this afternoon here about the whole situation and how the CPS has been handling that. And I'm sure your interest is a lot of folks in the Beltline are to hear that explanation. I mean, what, what do you want to hear? What are you hoping to hear from the police chief about not just how they've handled this, but you know where this all might go from here? Yeah, we're looking where, where this is going. And so we've seen um, with recent demonstrations in the last couple of years, 
the pro-Palestinian convoy that happened in 2021, um, numerous other ones, where police took an active role in requiring demonstrators to file plans uh, with the pro-Palestinian one. They uh, aggressively fined them uh, from deviating from their, their, uh, their route uh, for noise uh, infractions. Um, for traffic infractions, um, and uh, really took a proactive role. And we need the police to do their job and to enforce bylaws and to to require these protesters to to move elsewhere with their. And I think the mayor's right; these have basically just turned into a parade slash festival. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reason it has to happen on 17th Avenue. Certainly, the police wouldn't allow it. Um, if it was happening on Deerfoot Trail. Um, so why um, allow this to continue um, here when it's causing so much uh, damage and disruption? You know, and, and I almost fear that maybe, you know, for some of these protesters, maybe this is part of the appeal now, the idea that, you know, they're, they're tormenting uh, folks in this neighborhood or they're almost relishing all of this this kind of conflict which which is not helpful but i don't know peter has there been any kind of engagement have you reached out to any of the the protest organizers have they given any indication as to why it's so important to them to keep this going or why they've remained focused on on this area of calgary i mean again it's um you have to come down to experience it yourself it's uh, not like i'm encouraging people to come to this thing but it's a real uh toxic cocktail uh uh, a whack job of different, um, I, I would just say losers, like complete low-life losers who are um, who have maybe found some sense of community um, from after spending a, a lot of time on Facebook. Um, these are people who have unfortunately become radicalized and uh, unfortunately maybe found a sense of community through causing this this sort of disruption, um, maybe they feel it uh, legitimizes, um, gives them legitimacy, gives them attention. Um, I don't know. You can speculate. There's probably people who are writing about this right now. It's not unlike what we saw in Ottawa. And unfortunately, with Calgary Police, their response is not unlike um, the sort of impotence of the Ottawa Police Force. Right. And I mean, obviously, it's, you know, this this is a, a once a week thing, right? I mean, you know, they're, they're not occupying the neighborhood for a prolong, prolonged period of time like they did in Ottawa. But this seems to be each and every Saturday. Mm-hmm. Can you give us kind of an overview? Like, I mean, at what time does this generally start on Saturday? How long does this this go on for? What's a typical Saturday? Like? Yeah, I mean, it um, it sort of rises and falls. But you're talking about, I don't know, three or four hours uh, out of mm-hmm. the afternoon. Uh, from the time they roll in, they're clogging streets, they're honking horns, there's um, Confederate flags going by on trucks. Um, I mean, the in Beltline here, you have a lot of people living in apartment buildings. So um, the parks, the streets, the cafes, the patios are very much an extension of our, our living rooms. And so we live we very much live in the community and when that suddenly is taken away from you is occupied by other people um indefinitely um once a week on you know your weekend um certainly businesses are feeling this in their pockets now um 
oh yeah, these people aren't coming here to shop or dine or spend money. Um, they don't care about the community. They've shown that. Um, and so um, it, at a macro level, um, over a period of time, it, um, it culminates and um, it, it hurts residents and um, creates a decline in the perception of safety and, um, and quality of life that um, I think enough residents here, as you're seeing, are saying enough is enough. Um, this, has to, this has to move elsewhere and be properly um, managed and enforced by the police. So what are you hoping for or, or fearing or at least even just uh, anticipating for this, this coming Saturday? Well, like I said, we're, we're hoping for police to step up and, um, and redirect uh, the weekly parade elsewhere, move the gathering point. I mean, they've been meeting in Central Memorial Park, which is a, a main sort of focal point, gathering space, public space in the Beltline, which is a pretty dense community, 25,000 people live here. Um, so we're, we're, we want our community back. <laughs> and yeah. um, we, we know police have the tools to do that. They can uh, redirect these protests elsewhere. Like I said, 9th Ave, they can protest at City Hall. If they want to F Trudeau, they can F Trudeau all day at the Harry Hayes uh, Federal Building. They can go yell at Jason Kenney and the Alberta government at the McDougal Center. Um, there are places where this can happen with much less disruption. And um, doing it on a main street in the heart of a dense residential community um, is not uh, sustainable. We'll leave it there, Peter. Much more at uh, BeltlineYYC.ca. And we'll see what we hear from the police chief today and uh, what ultimately unfolds this weekend. But appreciate making some time for us here today, Peter. Thanks for this. Yep. Thanks so much, Rob. Bye. All the best. Peter Oliver is president of the Beltline Neighborhoods Association. And obviously some frustration you hear in his voice. And we certainly saw that from residents on the weekend who were just saying, you know, enough is enough. Why, why are we the ones who have to bear the brunt of this every single weekend? Why are you targeting and tormenting us? Is that part of the point now? I mean, what is the point at this point? All right, here we go. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you here on this uh, Monday afternoon, kicking off what should be uh, an interesting week on a number of fronts. You can reach us here this afternoon in Edmonton, 780-496-0063. In Calgary, 403-974-8255. We will get to some of the news uh, regarding Ukraine. Obviously, very concerning developments on the ground in terms of uh, what uh, Russian troops are doing or attempting to do uh, to areas under their control and those they uh, still seek to control. So still, obviously, uh, a lot of concern about where that may go from here. There's been some reports this week about the potential for some talks between Ukraine and Russia. I mean, what's what's the way out of this conflict? How does this all end? I mean, clearly, Russia is uh, not succeeding so far the extent that they assume they would. And they're feeling enormous economic pressure to the point now where they're asking for China for help. And maybe China's a little leery about getting too close to Russia at this point. It's quite remarkable, by the way, on state media, Russian Channel One and the evening news. And this video has been making the rounds here this afternoon. A woman, we don't know who she is or, or the whole backstory here, ran onto the set holding a sign. In English, it said, no war. In Russian, it said, don't believe the propaganda. They're lying to you here. 
She ran on the set standing behind the anchor. She was on air for a few seconds before they cut away to some B-roll footage. Now, God only knows what's uh, become of this woman and, you know, how incredibly brave that was. And maybe assuming the worst as to, to what might come of this. That was certainly significant. Now, we saw something concerning uh, in this province over the weekend. It was something uh, that the premier himself commented on. A situation that happened in Edmonton. The premier tweeting, quote, I'm appalled with reports that Albertans showing solidarity with Ukraine were apparently attacked by Putin's supporters on the streets of Edmonton. Now, hopefully uh, Edmonton police will be able to get to the bottom of this. Uh, these were some some fans who were apparently at the Oilers game uh, were carrying, were waving Ukrainian flags. They were allegedly punched, kicked and grabbed by the neck. Joining us uh, to talk more about uh, what happened in Edmonton over the weekend. There was also a rally, by the way, in support of Ukraine at the Alberta legislature over the weekend. Uh, joining us on the line here this afternoon is Arisia Boychuk, who is president uh, of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress in Alberta. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. Well, let's start with this really disturbing incident in uh, Edmonton over the weekend. This was following the Edmonton Oilers game on, on Saturday. Now, what, what can you tell us uh, about what happened? Yeah, the game was actually Wednesday, March 9th, and it, there was a 50-50 draw um, at the Edmonton Oilers game that was dedicated to supporting the Ukrainian-Canadian community's right. humanitarian relief efforts uh, to help those affected by Russia's war against Ukraine. And we were extremely very grateful for the Oilers and their support. Uh, that evening, uh, the 50-50 raised over $1.8 million dollars. Um, and, you know, the, the, the funds, the split funds will definitely be put to great use. Uh, following the game, a group of our community members, uh, had left, uh, well, had left the, uh, the, the stadium and were in Fort Hall, um, and gathering around taking a photo, um, of, of them holding flags and, it was uh, it was really disturbing. Um, as soon as the photo was taken, a couple of fellows walked across the concourse, directly targeting the group, um, and they assaulted um, the men. Assaulted, and they were they were speaking Russian amongst themselves and to the people they were assaulting. And they threw punches and kicks and grabs. And they grabbed the neck of uh, of an individual. Um, it was it appeared clearly targeted. Uh, it was yeah. an unprovoked event. Rogers told us that the attack was uh, recorded on video and uh, police on the scene had handcuffed at least one of the assailants that we are aware of. Um, but uh, there was also another unfortunate incident that occurred that, that evening. Um, there, was, uh, uh, there was a couple of police attending to the one the one individual, and then there was another individual that had uh, was assaulting another one of the community members, and uh, I, I actually happened to be there, and I went to security and asked security to help us, and they said the police are attending to the issue. Went to a police officer standing nearby, and he basically said, with his arms folded, "What do you want me to do? This is a sporting event." What do you want me to do? And he goes, I, I'm not taking sides. And um, and I said, well, this is a public safety issue. And 
people are being assaulted and we need you to intervene. And he just said, what do you want me to do? I've been a service veteran for 22 years or 20 years, sorry. So it was it was quite a very disturbing um, event uh, at the end of the game. Um, and, you know, given that we clearly had Ukrainian flags and other symbols on us, we believe this re- this is the reason for the attack. And uh, we call on Edmonton police to investigate this attack as a hate crime. Well, it, it certainly seems hate-motivated, as you say. Um, you know, it, it was clear that these individuals were targeted, targeted because of, of waving or, or holding the Ukrainian flag. Uh, mm-hmm. So since then, as you say, so this was last Wednesday night, March 9th, uh, and, mm-hmm. and so that was the response then. Mm-hmm. What what has changed? Have you heard anything else from police since then? Nothing. Silent. Um, well. Yeah, it's been silent. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that they are doing what they need to be doing and um, collecting the evidence of the event. But as of yet, we're still waiting to hear back from the Edmonton police. Charges have been pressed um, by those that were assaulted. Um, And um, we look forward to uh, the intervention of the Edmonton police to further investigate and, and address the issue. As I mentioned, the Premier uh, tweeted about this today, uh, Edmonton Mayor Amarjeet Soji, or Sohi rather, yesterday. Uh, the attack on Ukrainian community members outside Rogers Place last week was completely unacceptable. I spoke with President Boychuk to offer my support and urge all Edmontonians to remain united and avoid division and solidarity with Ukraine and Edmonton's Ukrainian community. So what more can you tell us about that, that conversation with Mayor Sohi? Yeah, so um, it, we're... Very touched by the fact that both uh, Mayor Sohi and the Premier had reached out to us and um, offered their support. Uh, we do believe that, you know, the majority of the people do support, uh, stand with Ukraine and support Ukraine, and that it is a small, small group that um, seems to uh, not be supportive of our uh, of Ukraine and um, and we believe that that you know we're strong and we will get through this and we will not allow this to um, to bring us down in any way definitely was an, uh, an awakening for us and um, we definitely will be vigilant but we will continue to support our Ukrainians uh, in Ukraine, and we will not be intimidated by this group of individuals. I mean, how isolated an incident was this? So we, we've heard other stories elsewhere in Canada of, you know, either violence or, or vandalism targeting Ukrainian Canadians. Are, are we seeing a, almost a trend here? Yeah, there has been an increasing violence and vandalism against our community in recent weeks. Pro-Ukrainian signs have been destroyed and defaced. People with Ukrainian flags on their cars have had their tires slashed. Um, and there there definitely is a bit of a movement across Canada um, with increased violence and vandalism. That's really unfortunate. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, how, how, how should we respond to that? I guess the question's different if we're talking about government or police or just all of us as Canadians. What kind of response does, does this warrant? 
Well, I think we need to be vigilant and we have to realize that there there are some outliers out there and we have to be careful. Um, it's, it's unfortunate um, and we need to stand to zero tolerance, uh, you know, towards hate crime. And um, they need to be addressed and they need to be uh, taken into custody and there should be continued zero tolerance towards this. Now, in the meantime, you know, this week, uh, Ukraine's president is going to be addressing both the, U- uh, the U.S. Congress and the Canadian Parliament. Obviously, what we've seen in terms of the, the fight, the resistance uh, from Ukrainians has been has been incredible. But at the same time, it's obviously been very heartbreaking. A lot of the images we've seen uh, out of Ukraine and the destruction that, that Russian forces uh, are wreaking. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on kind of the moment we're at here and, you know, what's likely to unfold in the days and weeks ahead? Well, definitely we'd like to see more uh, more support, more intervention, NATO um, engaging. It's really, it is uh, watching a genocide on social media. And, um, you know, it, it's clear that Putin wants to ethnically cleanse Ukrainians and um, and he's proceeding and he's intimidating and bullying uh, Ukrainians and Ukraine and the rest of the world. And we would like to see NATO continue to to stand up to this and um, not allow uh, this genocide to, to occur. Um, it's very traumatic. It's very emotional. We're very, all very heartbroken to to watch this. And uh, as a community, we, we're demanding more intervention, more support for Ukraine. Much more at uh, the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress website, ucc.ca. Arisia, thanks so much for joining us here this afternoon. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank All the you. best. Uh, that's Arisia Boy- uh, Boychuk, President of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress in Alberta. So was part of this group uh, outside, uh, or still kind of almost within Rogers Place, just outside the arena, but in that, that corridor there, uh, where they were posing for a picture with Ukrainian flags and were attacked by two men. Uh, who very clearly seemed uh, agitated and upset, and as she said, we're, we're speaking in Russian. So it seemed like a very targeted, politically motivated kind of attack, and, you know, the d- response from police that she described there, really disconcerting. So it's good to see both the Premier and Edmonton's mayor weighing in on this and, and expressing their support, uh, you know, for, for people who were attacked and condemning this for what it is. But it's really unfortunate that would happen. Uh, look, I don't know to what extent it's a coincidence Obviously, there was a lot of focus on that game Wednesday with uh, the Washington Capitals in Edmonton. Of course, uh, Alexander Ovechkin, who's taken some some flack, I think to some extent deservedly so, because of his uh, vocal past support uh, for Vladimir Putin. So I don't know what extent of any that that, uh, that might have played in this event or what kind of a connection there would be, but just kind of an in- interesting coincidence there. We'll take a time out here. We'll come back. We'll get to some of the latest news out of Ukraine later in this hour. We'll talk about politics here in Alberta ahead of a key by-election tomorrow. A new poll out today with some sobering news for Jason Kenney and his uh, UCP. Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you. It's going to be an interesting few weeks in Alberta politics. I mean, it's possible that uh, in a few weeks we could have a different premier. Or at least uh, be looking for a new premier. Jason Kenney faces a leadership review on April 9th. If he loses that, then he's out as party leader, as premier of Alberta. So a lot rides on that, obviously. The by-election tomorrow 
in Fort McMurray lack LaBiche could provide a lot of additional context to this whole period between now and then. It's kind of a no-win situation for Jason Kenney tomorrow. If the NDP win tomorrow, well, obviously that's that's not good for Jason Kenney and his party. But if the UCP wins this by-election, well, that means Brian Jean is going to Edmonton. Will be an MLA, will join the UCP caucus, and is going there with the stated goal of pushing Jason Kenney out. So those are kind of the two choices. Uh, for outcomes tomorrow, and neither are really good for Jason Kenney. Uh, today, uh, some additional, I guess, bad news for, for the Premier, uh, that support for the UCP in Alberta is dropping, according to a new research co-poll. Now, look, obviously, through this pandemic, uh, you know, the Premier has has had his issues when it comes to, to polling, and maybe the nature of Alberta, where a lot of people felt he wasn't doing enough to deal with the pandemic, others felt he was doing too much. But what's interesting now is that we're kind of moving past all of that. Most restrictions are gone. The economy's recovering. The budget is balanced. Things that, that should give the premier some political wind in his sails. It doesn't seem to be happening. 45% for the NDP in this uh, latest poll, just 30% for the UCP. NDP numbers are up. UCP numbers are down. So joining us uh, to talk about uh, these numbers and, and the uh, the tale they tell, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Mario Canseco, who is president of Research Co., research.co, CEO. Uh, Mario, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Great to be here, Rob. Uh, always uh, great to have a chance to talk about politics in Alberta. Yeah, and it's uh, an interesting time for sure uh, in Alberta politics. By the way, researchco.ca, I misstated the website just to clarify that. People can see the numbers for themselves. So... As as things seem to improve in Alberta, which would normally be good news for an incumbent uh, premier, an incumbent government, that, that doesn't seem to be happening here for, for Jason Kenney. What, what are these numbers telling us about the direction of political support in Alberta? Well, uh, there's a couple of things that really jump off the page for us. Uh, one of them is uh, the difficulty in holding on to the level of support and to the base of support that the party had in the last election. Uh, we see the numbers for the NDP very consistent. Uh, 94% of people who voted for the NDP in the last election are saying they would vote for the party in the next election. But when you look at the United Conservative Party, it's only 63%. And this means that you're uh, bleeding support everywhere. Some people going to the NDP, some people going to the Wild Rose Independence Party, some people going to the Alberta Party. So the ability that we saw from Jason Kenney to unite the right uh, is certainly not looking the same way a couple of years later. There's certainly a difficulty here and, and what I would call a little bit of a holding pattern. Uh, we have 18% of undecideds in Alberta, which is pretty high. Usually it's uh, around the 12 or 13% mark, but it's 26% outside of Calgary and Edmonton. So there are so many voters outside of the two big cities that are sort of waiting and seeing what is going to happen before making up their minds. That's very interesting. Now, when we look at the premier himself, his own personal approval rating is is pretty dismal, and, and that number has been dropping. What, what do we see on that? Well, it is very low at this stage. Uh, it's 26% of uh, residents in Alberta who are happy with the way he has been performing. And again, you know, this is recent. This isn't related to specific things that may have happened two or three months ago. We're moving away from the restrictions, and the situation should actually point to a better number for him. 
And what's really striking is uh, that it's fairly consistent across the board. Uh, usually we see a higher level of disapproval coming from the younger crowd, uh, Alberta and states 18 to 34, and a higher level of support with the over 55s. And it's fairly steady. It's 25% approval with the young uh, generation, 26 with Generation X, and 26 with the over 55. So it's fairly consistent. It's not a situation where you can point to the age of the respondent as one of the reasons to be dissatisfied with what the government is doing. So this is definitely not a great situation because there's not a base of support that is clear when it comes to his own performance. Yeah, I mean, you look at it even you know among male voters, the, the NDP have a lead, maybe not surprising, the NDP lead in Edmonton, but the NDP have a pretty healthy lead in Calgary, even in rural Alberta, the, the UCP are slightly ahead, but it's really competitive. So, I mean, is, is there anywhere the UCP can look and say, okay, well, we still have some strength somewhere? Well, I think there's a couple of factors at play. You know, one of them is what is going to happen with the viability of the smaller parties. Uh, right now, we have the Wild Rose Independents at 8%, Alberta Party at 7 uh, the Liberals at 5 the Greens at 3 and the Independence Party at 1 uh, Much of this is going to depend on whether they can fill candidates everywhere and whether those candidates are actually right. competitive. So we might see a situation as we get closer to the election where the level of support for this party starts to drop. It's something that we saw here in BC with the BC Conservatives. They started very well and then you realize that the election is in a couple of days and there's no candidate in your riding. So it's impossible <laughs> to vote for that party. Similar thing happened to the Buffalo Party in Saskatchewan. So right now, there's a lot of people who are looking at those options, certainly dissatisfied with the UCP, but flirting with the minor parties. This could play a role in whether this actually is the number that the UCP gets in the next election, because if they can connect well, if they can figure out a way to bring those voters back into the fold, then maybe this will be a much more competitive election than what we see right now, which is the New Democrats with a 15-point lead. Well, it's going to be interesting. Well, one of the factors in that by-election tomorrow is that you have the leader of the Wild Rose Independence Party who's actually a candidate in that by-election. And when you look at these numbers, it seems like, you know, they've almost really come, come out of nowhere, uh, that, that they're becoming a, a factor here. And, and it certainly seems like there's a correlation here that as UCP support has dropped, you know, this party has benefited from that. Well, and they are certainly doing well among specific areas. Uh, you know, you look at the 11% that the Wild Rose Independence is getting with the over 55s. You know, this is a group that would not necessarily gravitate towards the NDP. So that is definitely coming off the UCP column. A similar situation in the rest of Alberta, where they're at 13%. So it's complicated in the sense that you need to be able to uh, show something that is more meaningful for people to support the government. I think there's definitely a lot of animosity towards decisions that we're taking during the COVID-19 pandemic. At the national level, we consistently saw Jason Kenney with the lowest level of satisfaction when it came to managing COVID-19. It's not easy for that to just go away after a couple of months. Uh, there might be an yeah. opportunity for him to reconnect, and he has done so before. Um, but what is making things more complicated now is that there is an option that is no longer the United Conservative Party, and it's not the NDP that is taking some of those votes away from them. Really interesting. Obviously, an election still more than a year away, but uh, an all-important leadership review coming up in less than a month. Uh, much more is mentioned, uh, researchco.ca. Mario, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Rob. Anytime. All the best. Uh, veteran pollster Mario Canseco, president of uh, Research Co., and so their latest numbers, not a lot of good news here for uh, Jason Kenney and the UCP. So, look, I mean, if there wasn't a leadership review coming up, it would be easy enough to say, okay, look, give, you know, give this some time, right? Jason Kenney can recover from this a year or whatever, 14 months is a long time in politics. 
if things continue to go well with the economy, if we can keep restrictions at bay, he can bounce back from this. But what does this all portend for the leadership review and UCP members who have a decision to make? Is this still their guy? To what extent is he dragging down the party? His own personal approval rating, 26%. 66% disapprove. And those numbers have been growing further and further apart. Uh, conversely, uh, Rachel Notley pulls in a 49% approval rating. When the seven party leaders are, are listed, and yes, there are that many in Alberta, I, I, even I couldn't have named all of them. 36% believe Notley would make the best premier. 17% say Jason Kenney. So the overall NDP lead in Alberta is substantial, 45 to 30. In Edmonton, it's 50 to 25. In Calgary, it's 47 to 34. In the rest of the province, outside of the two major cities, the UCP holds a 31 to 30, or 33 to 31% lead. But you're seeing the Wild Rose Independence Party increasing in, in support in those areas and in some key demographics. So it'll be interesting to see the impact of having their leader run in that by-election there tomorrow. So what's a good outcome for Jason Kenney tomorrow? Ultimately, probably an NDP victory, really. You know, you keep Brian Jean uh, out, of, out of caucus. You, you sort of take the legs out from any kind of leadership aspirations he might have. And then, you, you know, you argue to the party that, look, all this infighting is, is playing into the hands of the NDP. I've heard a few people advance that argument. I think it's pretty compelling. But I, I would imagine, I mean, if I were a betting man, I would, I would imagine that Brian Jean is going to win that by-election tomorrow. This is his area. This is his hometown. He's very much a known quantity there. So I think the NDP could make a good showing there. Ultimately, I, I would expect Brian Jean to win that. And I think he can look at that, that he has some support, that people know full well what he's all about, and they voted him in anyway. And he can point to numbers like this and say, man, oh, man, Kenny's dragging down this party. We got to get someone new in there. Anyway, your thoughts on all of that? 403-974-8255 in Calgary and Edmonton, 780-496-0063. We're back with more right after this. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770CHQR.com. Talk to you next time. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.